Hey, hello there, folks. Glad you could stop by. It's a wonderful day out here. We got a prime spot on the bleachers. All sorts of sports going on today. Come on up and join us, why don't you? Because this is Talking Sports on the Bleachers. You got to get it done. This is Gateway City Sports. The rumors are true. This is Talking Sports on the Bleachers with Don Glenn. A confident young man. A superb athlete. A look at the sports issues of the day. Grab a seat, pop a cold one, and let's talk some sports. Gee, that sounds kind of interesting. Gentlemen, start your engines. Romo on the shotgun, here's the snap, Romo looking, dumps it off right side, intercepted! Intercepted the goal line by Woodson, and there is your Gallagher! Bruholz with the widespread stance, arms out over the plate. Pickford from the stretch. The 1-1 one, one pitch. A swing, and there it goes! Time again for Talking Sports on the Bleachers. I am Don Glenn, your host. And as always, I have my spot up here to sit and talk sports with you people every time. I will warn you right now, it'll be a little college heavy tonight. (laughs) But we're going to get some other things in as well. We're going to talk a little NASCAR. Uh, They had a race in Vegas on Sunday. We're going to talk the XFL Week 3. I take a closer look at the U of I basketball program, and I'll dive into the Big Ten and SEC tournaments. I know I'm kind of taking a little liberty not having my buddy Uncle Frank with me on that one, but I'm going to do my best. And as always, we'll finish up with some happenings around St. Louis. I mean, soccer's going on. you got the Cardinals. Uh, like I said, the Battle Hawks. So a uh, lot, lot to get to. But before I get to that, I want to let you know that Talking Sports on the Bleachers is a proud part of Gateway City Sports com at gateway city sports you can find a plethora of articles and blogs on the cardinals the blues the battle hawks 
uh, the newest edition of St. Louis Sports City Soccer. Then there's the college sports, SEC, Big Ten, Missouri, Illinois. We do as much as we can to bring you whatever we can. Now, you know something else? You can find other podcasts, too. For Cardinal fans, you might have a Cub fan in the family. Maybe your wife's a Cub fan, your daughter's a Cub fan, your dad's a Cub fan, or your neighbor's a Cub fan. Hey, invite them over and listen to the Team of Rivals podcast with Pete Pete Geddes, Ron Nuttall, and Elliot Dewey. I normally do that the other way around. Sorry about that, Ron, but I made a mistake. Yeah, for more Cardinal <laughs> Cardinal theme stuff, it's the That's a Winner podcast with Ryan Jenkins and Josh Brown. And you say one more Cardinals, we got the Cardinals out the wazoo, folks. Because uh, next up is the Mighty Moose, Mike Stevenson with the 243. And then, of course, there's the Derek King Sports Show with the man himself, living legend, Derek King. So if you're tired of the same old hype sports that you get on the internet or whatever, go on over to gatewaycitysports.com and check us out. If there's something you like and we don't cover it, Please let us know, and we'll do what we can we can to see that that t- gets taken care of. Now, on that note, I want to say that Gateway City Sports and Toasted Tavern have entered into sort of a partnership. Uh, we're not merging. No, 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 no. Gateway Sports, City Sports is going to stay Gateway City Sports. Toasted Tavern is staying Toasted Tavern. We're just going to start exchanging ideas. So you may see uh, some of your favorite Gateway City personalities uh, showing up at Toasted, Toasted Tavern from time to time. So stay tuned for that one. So, all right, let's get the ball rolling here. Well, in the leadoff spot tonight, it was another overtime race for NASCAR. They're getting pretty regular at that, you know. But it was a pretty clean race, though, for the most part. I mean, the only cautions up until about lap 183 were the two uh, stage uh, cautions at the at the end of the, you know stage one and stage two. The winner was William Byron, uh, followed by teammates Kyle Larson and Alex Bowman, all of Hendrix Motorsports Racing. Byron led 176 laps, one stage one and stage two, but it looked like he wasn't going to pull off the hat trick. There's Kyle Larson pulled ahead of him and had the lead with three laps to go. Then the cautions came out. Eric Amendola scraped the wall, causing the OT. Byron beat Larson out of the pits and held on to win the race. It was extremely clean, like I said, until about lap 183. And before that, uh, like I said, the only two cautions were the what they call competition yellows. Uh, don't ask me why they do that. But uh, 183 was the was the big wreck. Was the big wreck is there's a fight between Kyle Busch, Brad Keselowski, and Joey Logano. Ended up with Logano hitting the wall off a of turn four, and then of course uh, Amendola uh, a few laps later to bring out the OT. Final lap, there was an act. There was another accident in the final lap, but uh, with the, it involved AJ Allmendinger, Ryan. Priest, Michael McDowell, Eric Jones, and a few others. Uh, but the caution didn't fly as they were pretty much getting close to the finish line. So, the, and the race wasn't going to bother competition, or the accident wasn't going to bother race competition. So they kind of let it slide and let everything finish out the way it normally did. So after three races, uh, because the clash doesn't count, the clash uh, that was held at uh, the Coliseum, that doesn't count as far as NASCAR points go. But after three races, uh, the last three winners are the top three drivers. 
Kyle Busch leading the way with 92 points in a win. Ricky Stenhouse, 86 points in a win. And William Byron, 85 points in a win. Now, there are seven drivers with more points, but they don't have wins. And that's, I, that's, I think, a new element that they got. The, the points have to come. There's got to be wins involved. And I, I, I don't totally understand the point system, but they are seven drivers behind those three with over 100, with 100 points or more. So things could change quite rapidly. Uh, week three of the XFL is in the books. Two teams are undefeated, and all games were pretty close this this week. Uh, the lone game on Saturday was Seattle edging out Vegas 30-24. to Both teams were winless going into that game, so somebody had to come out way with, with a win. It was slow in the first half with only 18 combined points, and it ended in a 9-9 tie at halftime. Now, both teams found their gas pedal, though, in that second half for combining for 38 total points with the Sea Dragons outscoring the Vipers 21-17 and doing so in the last minute of the game on a 65-yard pass play to Josh Gordon. Seattle put up 519 yards of offense. God, Lord, that's a lot of that's a lot of offense. Ben Benucci was 29 of 37, 377 yards, four touchdowns. He would throw a pick. Uh, Morgan Ellison rushed for 130 yards on 17 carries, but he couldn't find the end zone. Now, Josh Gordon would catch six passes for 118 yards and two TDs. Jacor Pearson had seven catches for 98 yards, no touchdowns. Uh, Blake Jackson and Juwan Green caught the other two TD passes from Danucci. Uh, now, for the losing Vipers, Brett Hundley was a dual threat, having a uh, hand in all three Viper touchdowns, going 13 or 28 in the air for two scores, and then carrying the ball eight times for 66 yards and a score. Jeff Badgett would shag four catches for 93 yards and a touchdown. John Lovett would get the other receiving touchdown on his one only catch for 50 yards. On Sunday, St. Louis, man, they tried, but they couldn't pull off a come from behind uh, in the last three minutes like they've been doing. Uh, God love them. They, but they fell to the D.C.'s defenders 34-28, to and what I've heard is the highest total points scored in an XFL game to date. The key was two defensive plays by D.C. The first was a pick six by defensive back Michael Turner, giving D.C. an early 14-0 lead. Battlehawks would tie the game at the half. Uh, they were down eight at the start of the fourth quarter, but another uh, turnover that led to a D.C. field goal. Uh, then D.C. scored another touchdown, putting them up 14. They didn't make their conversion. With six minutes left, you've had to think that St. Louis was going to, here, here we go again. They marched down the field Scored, opted for the 4th and 15, but could not convert. And the game ended in the final score of 34-28. Now, Jordan Tamu for the defenders was only 11 of 20 for only 196 yards, but he did get a touchdown. Derek King uh, was 3 for 3 with 14 yards and a score. And again, he's not to be confused with Gateway City's own Derek King. They're two different people. Although you never really see them in the same place together. They are two different people. I can assure you of that. Uh, he was <laughs> King was sacked twice. Uh, the backfield duo of Abram Smith and Raquel Armstead would combine for 105 yards, but they wouldn't get a touchdown. Uh, the only rushing touchdown was scored by Tom Ooh, who rushed 10 times for 22 yards. Leading receiver for the defenders was Lucky Jackson. Four catches, 89 yards, but no scores. Chris Blair and Atiyah Wolf would each catch a touchdown pass on their on uh, one of their 
only two catches. They only, each of them only had two catches. Each one caught a touchdown pass. I'm going to tell you, that's some passing efficiency. I'm, that's, that's what I think that is. Defenders are now only one of two unbeaten teams left in the XFL. Uh, for St. Louis, uh, quarterback A.J. McCarron, a good day, 26 of 42, 262 yards and four touchdowns. Now, he was picked off twice and sacked four times. All O-line's got to get their act together here uh, and did uh, turn the ball over on a fumble. But he threw touchdown passes to Hakeem Butler, who was the leading receiver, nine catches, 105 yards. Brian Hill, Jake Sutherland, and Stephen Mitchell or were the others that caught touchdown passes, and the running game was basically non-existent. Um, I think they had a total of like 70 yards rushing for the entire team. So uh, Arlington Renegades held off the Guardians in a defensive 10-9 to game. Uh, the Renegades have some offensive struggles as of late, but the defense, thank God for that, has eight takeaways in three games. Now, the Guardians have definitely had struggles on offense, as they have only 33 points in the last, in the first three games. Now, both teams would get first quarter field goals, and then nothing until the fourth quarter. Guardians would start the fourth quarter with a three-yard run by Paxton Lynch. The conversion would fail. Then about midway through the fourth quarter, Kyle Slaughter would find Tyler Vaughns on a 17-yard pass play to tie the game. A one-point conversion run by Devon Smith would put the Renegades in front. Defense took over. And the Guardians are still looking for their first win. Houston stayed undefeated as they rode the Brahmas in a 22-13 win. Houston scored all of their points in the first half. The only score in the second half was a late third-quarter two-yard run by Jacques Patrick. Uh, the conversion would fail. Houston's Brandon Silvers was 24-35, of 278 yards, three touchdowns. John Trey Kirkland converted on two of his six catches in the game for touchdowns while getting 77 yards in the process. While Deontay Burnett would get the other touchdown catch, the Brahmas could only muster 162 yards of total offense. I mean, that, that's crazy. You got, you got the, uh, uh, or Seattle with, uh, you know, 500 yards of offense, and now you turn around and you've got San Antonio only, only garnering 162 yards of total offense. That's... <laughs> That's that's just crazy. You know, with the short season in the XFL, the Brahmas, Guardians, and the Vipers are under some pressure to get things turned around. So I can imagine a little bit of stress going on in those locker rooms. But I can tell you a place where there is very little stress. That place is Fifth Street Motors. At Fifth Street Motors, they try to take the stress out of car buying. Located at 2044 Rose Lane in Pacific, Missouri, they're just stone's throw away from Six Flags. They will find you the right car no matter what brand. Because at Fifth Street Motors, they believe in giving you the absolute best price on a pre-owned vehicle that's going to fit your budget. So give Brandon or Don a call today, 573-259-1306. Again, that's 573-259-1306. Tell them, Don Glenn from Talking Sports on the Bleachers sent you. The call on the field stands. Touchdown. Well, under further review, I want to take a look at the University of Illinois basketball team. I know I talk about them at the U of I a lot, but I'm based here in Champaign, so that's my I'm the beat I'm the beat guy for those guys. Anyway, a uh, close loss at Purdue. The Fighting Line are now 20 and 11 with 11 and 9 conference record, tied for fifth in the Big Ten. 
Now, the Big Ten tourney starts Wednesday, and uh, Illinois draws a seven seed and plays Thursday against Penn State. Now, this is the team that swept Illinois in the regular season. Um, Illinois have been somewhat of an enigma in, during this regular season. I mean, they started out pretty well. Um, looked like they were going to be a top top four seed, if you will, um, when, they take, when they took down UCLA and then they took down number two Texas. Uh, and then the wheels sort of fell off. And I know a lot of it was because I think, and I still think, that – uh, we were facing some of some, as as Brad Underwood calls them, old teams, um, teams that had a lot of seniors, fifth year seniors, transfer guys. You know, um, I think Missouri, which we lost to by twenty two points, and that was that was probably the one of the two main big downfall games, if you will, that had people really doubting this team. Uh, and the other one was the uh, loss at home against Northwestern. Um, but I think what you saw in, in, in the Missouri game, in the Maryland game, in the Northwestern game, and in Penn State, the first game at least, you had you saw where this, the youth of Illinois got exposed. And you saw that actually in the Vegas tournament when they played uh, uh, Virginia. Um, you saw the youth be exposed by an, a, a Virginia team that had a lot of seniors, had a lot of fifth-year guys, had a lot of experience. And if you have that, you know, you can go, you can do well. You can you plug a lot of holes, and Illinois doesn't have that. I mean, going into the season, all you had coming in was, uh, experience-wise, was uh, Coleman Hawkins and R.J. Melendez and Luke Goody. You didn't have a big... Uh, contingent of uh, experienced guys coming in. Now they were able to get uh, Terrence Shannon Jr., Matt Meyer out of the uh, portal, uh, but but those are guys that don't have uh, a connection until they get here, and you know they don't know um, they don't know the program as well. So it takes them time to blend in. So you've got this lack of experience, and I think that led to a lot of their early problems. And then they've had a little bit of adversity since then. I mean, Sky Clark leaving the team uh, for personal reasons. And by the way, I have seen no updates on Sky Clark at all. I don't, I don't think he's re-entered on the transfer portal anywhere. I do not know if he is actually withdrawn from school. It's nobody is saying really anything about Sky. So, but there's that. Uh, but he left the team, and then you've had some injuries. Like I said, Luke Goody was hurt at the start of the year. Uh, then Melendez went into a funk, couldn't hit broadside of a barn with both hands and a bass fiddle. Uh, it just got to the point where you, they they were so inconsistent. You had guys jacking up threes like Coleman Hawkins from 30 feet out. That's not his game. I mean, his game is get inside that line, be part of the offense, be the flow of the offense, but don't try to be the offense. And uh, when he works that and he can get that little inside shot or he can or he can drive the basket, he's almost unstoppable. I mean, he's got great length, great athleticism. That's what he needs to use, not try to be a three-point shooter. Well, so then you got the other guys, like a Sincere Harris. Um, I think Sincere is a very athletic guard. He's... Uh, can be a good point guard. I don't know if he's a true point. Well, I know he's not a true point guard. I, I think he can be that point guard in a pinch. I don't think he's one that you're going to put on the on the uh, uh, 
put your eggs in the bat in his basket as being a point guard. Um, and he can shoot the three, but I think his game is more suited to that slash and dish or drive the basket or, you know, something where there's activity in motion to it. I don't think he's not a, he's not a set up three point shooter. Now, in, in the if you get him in the flow of the offense where he's running the outside, running off a pick, and he's got the three pointer and open shot, he can take it, and I think he can make those. But to say he's the uh, an outside three point shooter, no. Uh, Jaden Epps, uh, kind of the same thing, although a little bit better three point shooter. Same with Terrence Shannon Jr. But you've got the three point shooters in Melendez. You've got Luke Goody. The, both of those guys can shoot the three. Uh, I know Melendez has had some issues earlier this year, but he can shoot the three just as well as Goody can. Um, I think you've also got, as I say, with this group, you've got uh, Johnson, the con- or, excuse me, Johnson, Shannon, who can shoot the three. You've got um, Epps that can shoot the three, but in the flow of the offense, that's the problem. It's not that they can't shoot the three. It's that they're not shooting the three correct or at the right times. I should, I almost said correctly, but at the right times, um, they're, they're giving up too early on the offense or they're, uh, waiting too long and they've got to throw those desperation threes and that all affects your, your shooting. So I wouldn't go on the shooting percentages and say, well, they only shoot barely 30% from three. So they're not a good three point shooting team bunk. Um, they can shoot the three. They just need to know when to shoot it. I think that's going to be the big thing. But a senior point guard or a point guard with experience, junior, senior, is something that definitely Brad Underwood needs to look into next year uh, because what we're looking at for next year as far as what we've got, we've got the guys we've got, and then next year you might have Terrence Shannon Jr. for another year. Don't know. Uh, you've got Dre Gibbs Lawhorn coming in, who is a point guard, but he's going to be a freshman. Uh, you've got uh, Nicolo Moretti, who will join the team in the second half of the season. But he's while he's on the roster, I don't think you're going to see him play in the, unless they absolutely need him to play. Um, and so they can put him on a, a uh, red shirt, if you will. So he'll be have more years available coming in next year. Uh, he's a point guard. But again, you're looking at guys that don't have experience. You're going to need that experience. Another spot I think they're going to need some help in is the middle, especially if Coleman Hawkins walk, uh, walks on his final in this year. Um, he's only a junior, but he could leave this year, and you just don't know what he's going to do. Uh, he could leave, try and turn pro. In that case, all you would have left in the middle is Dane Danger and Brandon Lee. And while I do love Dane Danger's ball game, I think he's got a great game. He's size, athleticism, strength. He can shoot, um, rebound. He can do all those things. But I mean, we saw it in the Purdue game and a little bit in the Michigan game, although I think he had a little bit better uh, go of it in the Michigan game. He gets up against some of these bigger boys, uh, the 6'11s, the 7-footers, and he does have a little uh, uh, a little issue in some respects. I mean, some guys he does well against, some guys not so well. Not so, well. so, you know, you get maybe, if we can bring in maybe a 6'11", 7-footer um, that can uh, play the defense, that can score, uh, 
doesn't necessarily have to be a Dane Danger-esque or, or Kofi-esque. Uh, We'd love to have another Kofi. God bless America, but I'd love to have another Kofi. Love to have him this year. Yeah, I mean, you think what a Kofi Coburn would have meant to this team this year. Oh, my God. As, the, as, as my cousin would say, good God, Becky, shut the front door. I mean, a Kofi Coburn on this team would have I me. Mean, you're not losing games that you're losing, uh, on the, especially on the inside. Uh, you're not losing games because of lack of rebounding. You're, you know, you're not losing games because they're controlling the inside. You, you, we don't have that right now. Um, you know, as, as, as good as Hawkins is at crashing the boards, as good as Terrence Shannon has been, Ty Rogers, um, it's just not the same as when you've got uh, a mountain <laughs> sitting in the middle of the paint, so to speak. Uh, but, uh, but you know, they, they do need to get a, a big man for next year if Coleman Hawkins leaves. And even actually if he doesn't leave, because, you know, after that you've got a couple guys coming in. I mean, uh, Hansberry is um, – Amani Hansberry is coming in next year. He's 6'8". You've got uh, Morez Johnson coming in next year. He's 6'8". Um, but you know, while those are nice guys to have and they're good and they're big and they're strong kids or will be strong kids, they're not somebody that's going to be able to play the five on a consistent basis. You need somebody that's going to be able to play that five on a consistent basis. So I think that's the two areas they need to hit. They need to get a, a, a good size experience, big man and a good, good experienced uh, point guard for next year to bring these kids along. I mean, I got no problem with Harris or Epps or or uh, Rogers uh, uh, and this Nicolo Moretti. I got no problem with with uh, them being part of the the uh, um, offense in the near or the team makeup in the in the next few years. But they're young. They're gonna. You know, we're, we're having growing pains. And growing pains without certain uh, body parts, if you will. I mean, the plan was you get Sky Clark. He plays this year, comes in next year, and he's able to work with Gib with Draw Gibbs Lawhorn. They can kind of split it, and then you just keep kind of going on down the road. Well, you know that's not going to work uh, with Sky Clark gone. Now you've got a, a more of an immediate situation of coming having to have something that's that's going to fix the. The hole that that's there, so we'll see what happens with that. Um, you know, another thing is if you look at uh, what Underwood has done with with the Illinois and how he far he's brought this program along. Uh, you know, I was talking with Dave Wisnowski and I asked him, you know, if if because I was around when Lou Henson came in after the one year of Gene Bardo to try and clear up from what used to be the slush fund scandal back in the late uh, 60s early 70s and Henson came in and in two years had this had that program turned right around and people were coming back and you had things coming around and Underwood kind of did the same thing but Dave and what I thought at the same time was that he brought it back from a different place because Illinois basketball under John Gross was at a place where we were not getting the big names you know, we weren't getting those four stars. We weren't getting kids that their first look or their first inclination was, well, let's look at Illinois. We were getting kids that, okay, yeah, I'll, I'll come and play for you because nobody else wanted to give them a, a, an offer. You know, 
we weren't comp- we weren't we weren't able to compete with Kansas, with Duke, with Michigan, even with Michigan. We weren't able to compete. Uh, North Carolina, but now we, you know, I mean, look at the look at the makeup of this roster. Sincere Harris is out of Ohio. During a John Gross era, we would have lost him to Ohio State. Jaden Epps is out of North Carolina. Yeah. You think Gross is going to win somebody from, from, the, from Tobacco Road? This is the thing. Uh, Brad Underwood has come in and he has put this team on the map. He's put this team in a position where kids want to play here. They want to come to Illinois. And I think that's going to be volumes in the, over the next couple, three years, you know, and getting more kids like I, an Io DeSumo, like a Kofi Coburn, like a Sky Clark that hopefully can stick around. You know, again, I'm nothing against Sky Clark, and, and I'm, I'm, I'm hoping that things work out for that young man. Um, would love to see him come back to the, to the U of I. Don't know if he will or not. My first inclination is we haven't heard much about him for so long. I think he's probably moved on. And, you know, as fans, we probably should too at this point. Uh, he's still listed as a, on the basketball program, still listed on scholarships. I don't know. We'll have to wait and see what goes on after this year is over. Uh, and that's going to be the other thing. What tra- what's going to transfer out from Illinois? What's going to leave? You know, what positions are you going to have to fill other than the ones you already know about? I mean, you know you're going to have to get a, a, another big man. You know you're going to have to get a point guard in the portal. But who leaves in the portal? If you lose a Ty Rogers, you lose a Sincer Harris, which I don't think either one of them are going anywhere. Um, but you could. You could lose a Luke Goody. I mean, you already know that you're going to be You've already got two guys leaving, and they're being. And those positions are pretty much filled um, by uh, the two kids coming in next year, uh, Hansberry and Lawhorn. You know they're they're taking those spots, but you lose a Coleman Hawkins. Uh, let's say he let's say he turns pro. Sky Clark doesn't come back. Now you've got another open scholarship. Because right now the Illinois is sitting for next year with no open scholarships, but. As I said, that is not figuring in. Or actually, no, I take it back. They've got one open scholarship for next year, and that would be uh, Zachary Perrons, who showed up for one game and then left. Um, and then again, like I said, you've got Sky Clark's scholarship, which if he does not come back, then that one becomes open. Uh, and then if Coleman Hawkins uh, bolts, or goes to the NBA, then you end up with three more scholarships coming in for next year. You know, they, like I said, you're gonna you've got three to use for that uh, for transfers, um, and then of course we've got the the walk-ons that we've already got this year in uh, Red Warden and Servant. I think Warden's a senior though. I think he leaves after this year. Yeah, Warden is no Warden's a freshman. Excuse me. Uh, my apologies to pa- Paxton Warden. Uh, so, you know, you've got a couple guys that may be taking off, and so you're going to have to replace them, you know, uh, but you're going to have to replace them with the positions that you need, you know, which is going to be that that uh, inside game and the point guard. So we'll see how that goes. Uh, I think this Big Ten tournament is going to be very uh, uh, instrumental in what 
Illinois or how Illinois uh, gets set up for the uh, NCAA tournament. And uh, because if, if they go one and out, which is a very distinct possibility uh, when you're talking playing Penn State, uh, if they go one and out, then I think that hurts their chances in the in the NCAA tournament. Uh, if they can beat Penn State, I don't think that helps necessarily. But then you go on and you play Northwestern next. Now you take down Northwestern. If they can get, I'd say if they can get three wins in the Big Ten tournament, they can improve their standings. Anything less than three wins, um, like I said, one or two wins, you're going to stay status quo. Uh, if you don't win anything, that actually could hurt in one re- in one respect. Because right now we're sitting in an eight nine seed, which means we got to play a one seed next. So if they actually lose a game, then that puts them in that ten seed category, which I think I'd rather be in right now. Anyway, I'd rather be a ten than an eight or a nine. I think I would rather be a 10 than an 8 or a 9. Because if you're an 8, you know, the 8-9 line is so close. It's kind of like the 1-2 line. The 8-9 line and the 1-2 line, they're, they're really close uh, to each other. And an 8, you know, that's why a lot of people don't consider a 9 beating an 8 as a true upset. Because they're both about the same people. It's just one, you know, it's kind of like a uh, an A-B choice. A 1-A-1-B type thing. So... I think, you know, that doesn't help your standing. But the other problem is, like I said, you play the number one next. You know, if you're an 8-9, then you got to play the number one next. So, in some respects, I'd rather be a 7 or a 10. You know, stay away from having to play that number one in the second, in the second week or the second game. And also, if you're a 7, you're playing a school that's a little bit less than you. If you're, if you're the 10, you're still within that upset range where you could you could jump up and bite somebody and then uh you know gain some momentum and then hopefully when it comes time you have to play that uh one of those top uh four seeds you know then you're then you you've got a hopefully better idea or hope a way to to maybe come out come out ahead but so anyway we'll see how that goes uh like i said the big 10 tournament starts wednesday and uh runs through sunday championship game will be sunday and we will see who all shakes out of that. What you're seeing with, 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 with what I was talking about is Illinois has got to be prepared. Just like most colleges at this time, you know, you've, you've got to prepare yourself, not only for this tournament coming up, but for the next year. And it's like having insurance to protect yourself from the unknown. Because we all know how important it is to stay protected. Life can come down hard like a Kofi Coburn dunk. But that's when you need Allstate. The Wiley Group has two locations in Festus and Arnold to serve you. They have all types of of home, auto, life, boat, motorcycle, business. They got investments and much more. They'll offer you a customized approach that's unique to your situation. They also offer great rates and savings. So why don't you give Sean and his team a call today? 636-764-6294. Again, that's 636-764-6294. And they'll give you a quote right over the phone. Because it's the way they do business. I've heard that you can even call them and talk to them about sports because they'll do that too. I mean, I still say I need to get them on the show someday. You know, you know, with with kids and work and social commitments and everything else going on these days, we have busy lives. 
So you can email Sean at SeanWiley at Allstate.com. That's S-E-A-N-W-I-L-E-Y at Allstate.com. Talk to him about your coverage options. And remember, you're in good hands with Allstate. All right, for the College Notebook this week, it's college basketball lead-in to March Madness. Yeah, we got the SEC and the Big Ten tournaments coming up. You know, I think Uncle Frank and I are going to try and make a selection show for next week, so stay tuned for that. But I want to touch base today on the on the, the two uh, conference tournaments. Uh, let's start with the SEC. Now, I'll probably get in trouble with Uncle Frank for doing this without him, but, you know, hey, let's give it a shot, shall we? The SEC, in a sense, they are like the Big Ten. Uh, those two conferences both have what they call the double buy for the top four slots. So they, in a sense, have their own little one line, if you will. Uh, so for the uh, SEC, it's Alabama 1, Texas 2, Kentucky 3, and Missouri Tigers number 4. So they all get double buys. Now, I can safely say, and I'll check with Russ, but I'm not sure many people would have had Missouri on that uh, double buy uh, line, if you will. I mean, maybe some have. Some are probably optimistic about it. But, you know, uh, and, but as the season went on, I think they proved that they do belong there. Um. So we'll see how that works out. Now, your first round or your play-in games, of which you've got two games that there are two four teams that are oddballs. So you make them play to get in the the what would be a, I would consider the first round, but they they consider this the first round. So you got two play-in games, uh, uh, and that would be number twelve North uh, South Carolina versus number thirteen Ole Miss. Now the winner there gets to take on number five Tennessee. Then you've got number 11, Georgia, versus number 14, LSU, and the winner there plays number 6, Vanderbilt. Other games in the second round are number 8, Florida, number 9, Mississippi State, or versus number 9, Mississippi State, number 7, Auburn, versus number 10, Kansas. Now, as I look at this bracket, I'm looking at a couple key matchups that need to happen for an Alabama-Texas A&M finale showdown. First and most obvious is the Aggies getting by Arkansas or Auburn. For that matter of fact, Arkansas already owns a win over Texas A&M. Uh, Kentucky also has a win over the Aggies. So they've got a little bit of a, a tough road to hoe. Now, in the case of Alabama, first and foremost, if you have a, the, the duo of Brandon Miller and Mark Sears has to score. And Bama does have a mildly deep bench, but I'm not sure they could stand with a sustained drought by either them, by either of them. Uh, so particularly Miller, uh, he's their big guy, big scorer, I should say. Um and then, of course, first concern would be Mississippi State and their big big guy, and he is a big guy, 6'11", senior forward, Tulu Smith. Now, there's no doubt he's the main cog in that offense for the Bulldogs and does have a very good supporting cast with the likes of Shaquille Moore, DJ Jeffries. But if the Smith can be neutralized, then the Bulldogs will find it tough to go. Alabama's beaten Mississippi State twice, but it's very hard to beat a team three times. And at the last meeting between the two, it was only a three-point win by Alabama. So they could trip Alabama up. Uh, the next hiccup could be Missouri. Um, I think Missouri, with the uh, age in their lineup, uh, really plays a different kind of basketball. And it's one that I think could bother Alabama. Now, they did beat Missouri pretty handily, but I think that's also going to give Missouri a little fuel for the fire if you don't, if you uh, get my drift. You know, with guys like Kobe Brown and DeMahaj, uh, who account for 30 points a game, and then you add DeAndre Golston, Noah Carter, the Tigers can be a handful. 
So let's see what happens in that one. Uh, Tennessee, uh, the five seed is another team I think Alabama's got to worry about. They are a team that's balanced. I mean, balanced all throughout the lineup. Uh, we got five or six guys, I think, scoring double figures or close to double figures. A very solid backcourt was Sakai, Ageler, and Santiago Vescovi. Uh, they get about eight and a half assists a game. You know, they're going to keep a team on their toes and a team especially like Alabama. So that's another sticky point. So, there's obviously two favorites. I mean, it's Alabama, it's Texas A&M. That's where most people are going to center what they what they believe this tournament's going to be, uh, the SEC. But I think there's four other teams that might, like I said, have a say-so in that, and that would be Kentucky, Missouri, Tennessee, and Vanderbilt. You know, they could push their way in. Even an Auburn could come up and surprise somebody and change the dynamic of who plays who. So you don't know. I mean, it's going to be a fun tournament to watch, I think. I think you're going to see just how good – um, Bama is when they're put to when their feet's put to the fire, so to speak, and it's a winner go home situation. Because up till now, when you're playing a regular season, you don't have that winner go home. You don't have that. Uh, okay, well we got we got a game next week, so we'll be fine. If we lose this one, we'll be fine. You know, now we're in that situation of you can't lose. It's winner go home, win or you don't take the prize. So we'll see how Alabama fares with that, and we'll see how the rest of that uh, conference fares to that. So. If I'm going to handicap this one, I'm going to say my favorites to win are Texas A&M. That's who I think the favorite is. Uh, I think Bama, Missouri, and Tennessee are right there beside them. And my dark horse is Vanderbilt. So take that for what it's worth. So shifting on over to the Big Ten, uh, again, like I said with the SEC, they've got the double bye. When the top four seeds you're looking at in the Big Ten are number one, Purdue, two, Northwestern, three, Indiana, and Michigan State, number four. Uh, Iowa and Maryland get the buys to, to uh, face the play-in guys. And leaving Michigan facing off with uh, Rutgers in the 8-9 game and Illinois battling Penn State in the 7-10 game. Um, first, when I look at this bracket, I see Purdue... And I know, like Alabama, like uh, uh, Texas A&M, people are looking at Purdue. Okay, well, it's their it's their tournament to lose, and maybe it is. But I do see where they can lose this tournament. They have not played well the last uh, couple of three weeks. I mean, they've lost like four or five games. Um, and you know, Illinois played them tight. So I think you're looking at a Purdue team that is beatable. And I think a lot of teams have seen that, and I think everybody's gunning for them. I think one of their first obvious tests is going to be if uh, Michigan gets past Rutgers. And you see where, you know, you've got that matchup where they're pretty, you know, they've got some equal parts. You have Edie versus uh, Dickinson. You've got uh, Jet Howard and Kobe Bufkin going up against Fletcher Lawyer and Braden Smith. So, you know, you're looking at a pretty even match game, and I think that's going to be a lot of fun to watch uh, and could be you know, a one-and-done scenario for Purdue. Then the next two teams that would have a shot would be Iowa and Michigan State. Um, I'm not sure either one legitimate. I mean, Michigan State does have three very outstanding guards that can that can shoot the lights out from three, and that could, uh, you know, could play very well against Purdue. Iowa, I'm not sure. Like I said, don't know if, sure if they have a shot. Uh, but, you know, so there's a couple teams there that could trip up Purdue right away. And then when you talk, start talking, if they get past that game, they go into the next round. 
uh, you know, then you're talking the semifinal game where they're going to come up with, you know, any one of four teams, I think, that could uh, cause them fits. Uh, you're talking, uh, obviously, Northwestern and Indiana. You're talking Illinois and Maryland. Uh, I think any one of those four teams could give Purdue fits. Penn State might even be able to give them a little bit of trouble. Um, you know, it just depends on how well they play. Now, when you look at it, is and you say you know Penn State or Illinois or you know what's their what's their options? I mean, you look at that uh, Michigan State or excuse me at uh, Northwestern. You know, they've got a really really good backcourt, um, which I mean would match up against Purdue well. Their problem is they don't really have the inside. Uh, Illinois has got the inside game, and they right now the guard plays a little suspect for Illinois. I say, um, you know, still trying to figure out that point guard situation, but you know they've got the talent that can overcome something like that. Uh, Indiana, you know, with Trace Jackson Davis and uh, Jalen Hood uh, Shafino, they've really got a good. Uh, you know, I think they've got a good shot. So. If even if Purdue makes it to that championship game, they're not a lock to win in any way, stretch or stretch of the imagination. I think uh, one thing that if you look at some of the other teams, a thing for Illinois is we're going up. They're going up against a Penn State team that has beaten them twice already. But as I said earlier, it's very tough to beat a team three times. Uh, then you know you look at Illinois has got to play Northwestern team they split the regular season with they get past Northwestern they possibly have to play uh, Maryland who they who beat them uh, it was their first um, I think it was their first loss or first big first Big Ten loss uh, and then Indiana which beat Illinois twice so again you're looking at a lot of scenarios there um, they can who will end up ultimately facing Purdue should they survive um their play their what i would call a playing game i mean you let's face it you're playing one quarter final one game and you're in the semifinals so uh, to me that's like a play-in game but you know but you, you get my point i mean i hope uh and that is that there's a lot of variables in this big tent and on the on the side that does not contain purdue um so we'll have to see how that plays out and um you know i again if I'm looking at this and I'm going to try and handicap this, my inclination is that I think I've got two favorites. I think I've got Indiana and Purdue as my two favorites for the Big Ten uh, Tournament Championship. Uh, after that, I think then you're talking about that group of four that I talked about. With and even you know a uh, five possibly, you got you got the Northwestern Indiana. Michigan State, Illinois, and then I think you've also got you. You can't really ignore the Michigan factor that they're in this in this mix too. Uh, but if uh, I had to give a dark horse, I I don't know. For some reason, I go I'm gravitating toward Penn State as my dark horse, and I don't know why. But hey, you know that's that's the way I'm looking at it. We'll just have to see how things sh- shake out. So. Uh, yeah, I guess what we're going to do, like I said, Russ and I are planning a selection show. Uh, may have a couple other guests with us, so be tuned for that. And we'll, we'll you know, we'll just see how the how the tournament shakes out. I mean, they don't call it March Madness for nothing.
Well, let me tell you, soccer has arrived. You know, um, a lot of things going on in St. Louis right now. It's kind of hard to pick something here, but you've got the St. Louis City Soccer Soccer Club is now 2-0, uh, six points uh, on this uh, young season. Uh, they've defeated Austin FC 3-2 in Austin, uh, February 25th, to start the season. And they just took down Charlotte uh, four days ago, March 4th, 3-1 uh, in there in St. Louis's home opener. Uh, now, as for scoring and points and all that, the win counts as three points, a draw counts as one, and you get no points for losing, as it should be. Um, now, the St. Louis is unique in one respect in that the CEO, Carolyn Kendall, is the first female president and CEO of an MLS team. Now, here's the other interesting fact, is that the ownership group is very predominantly female, with seven women and two men uh, that serve on, on their board of directors. And it goes a little further than that. The head's groundkeeper is female. They have an academy a coach that is female. So they're trying to provide, and I think this is a very, very good idea, they're trying to provide a, I don't want to say an outlet, but a, a, a inspiration uh, for women, young girls, women of all ages really, that you can do things. You can be something outside of traditional roles. And I think that's a very, very good message for them to set, to sell. And I'm, I hope a lot of women take notice of this and realize that you can achieve what normally would be considered a man's job or uh, the male dominated world. I think you can. And, and, uh, you know, kudos to 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 Miss, Mrs. Kendall for uh, for doing this. Now, opening day, they had a sellout crowd and they watched the St. Louis come from behind to win three to one. Uh, they scored th- scored three goals in each of their first two games, and according to armchair analyst Matt Doyle, that is the first time that has happened in league history. So, I do have to ponder though, as to is St. Louis, and I've I've asked this question before of a couple different people, but is St. Louis big enough? sports-wise, to handle handle multiple spring sports. I mean, you're talking the XFL, which is going to be mostly in a, in a February, March, early April type situation. And you're talking MLS soccer. soccer. Um, you are looking at the Blues wrapping up their season. It goes through the spring until like June, I think. And then you've got the Cardinals. You know, not to mention, at least around this part, this time of the year, you've got the Billikens, you've got uh, Missouri. So, you know, I, I don't know. Is there enough dollars to go around? We'll have to see how that works out. Now, but judging by what they had in their first their first match and judging by the, the buzz around the city, I think soccer is probably going to be in good shape, and it looks like the XFL will be too. At least this year, you know, any all the reports I've heard is the fan base is just rabid down there uh, for football, uh, and uh, the XFL is, is going to fill that bill. So, you know, I think we're going to see some some interesting things uh, going on in that respect. Uh, a little bit about the Battle Hawks and the XFL. Uh, now, as they as I noted earlier, they lost to uh, the, uh, the DC Defenders. Uh, this past weekend, 
But and they've got their home opener coming up against the Arlington Renegades. Now both teams are going to be two and one um, so far in this early season. The Battle Hawks numbers are actually they they are actually have some pretty good numbers if you look at them. And I kind of took a little minor dive into the numbers. Um, they have the third most passing attempts at 104, second most completions at 66. They're tied for first in passing touchdowns with seven. Uh, the last in the league in rushing attempts with 58. And, but seventh in rushing yards with 232. Now they only have one running touchdown, so that that's low. Uh, and of course, along with good passing, it is good receiving, and uh, they you know they kind of go hand in hand. Uh, but they're fourth and first down percentage. Uh, they at 29.8 percent. Uh, in terms of scoring, they're second in scoring with 57 points, with, which accounts for eight touchdowns, three two-point conversions, and one three-point conversion. They're um, uh, a little bit behind the Roughnecks, uh, who are looking at 66 points with 10 touchdowns and uh, two, three, or three two-point conversions. Uh, on defense, though, the Battlehawks uh, have the second most total tackles, but are last in the league in sacks. Um, they're sixth in tackles for a loss. They are first in forced fumbles with six and fumble re- and first in fumble recoveries with seven. On special teams, they lead the league in kick return average at 26.3 yards per return. Um, tied for first in returns with 15. They lead the league in total yards with nine, 395 total return yards. They also have the longest return run of 72 yards and are fifth in punting, 14 punts for 41.6 yards average per punt. All in all, it's a good start to a promising future for the Battle Hawks. Right, let's finish up with a little bit of Cardinal baseball here. Uh, Jordan Walker has been nothing but phenomenal. He's He's been the talk of fans for the last year and, and a half, and he's proving it why down in, in, in uh, Port St. Lucie. Uh, so far this spring, he's 10 of 24 with three home runs, six RBIs, six runs scored. His in, his slash is insane. 417, 417, 917, yeah, 917. Uh, it's, it's, like I said, it's just flipping insane. Um, a 917 slugging percentage. Who does that? Who does a 917 slugging percentage? My God. Um, I mean, if for all you um, OPS people out there, that that translates into a 1.334 or 1,034 OPS. Uh, Nolan Gorman's numbers, not quite as gaudy, but they're still damn good. Uh, he's six of seventeen with two home runs, five RBIs, four runs scored. Slashes of three fifty three, four fifty seven sixteen, for an OPS of one one five six. Moises Gomez, the guy I really wanted to see if how he would do. Uh, he's he's pedestrian at this point. At this point, he doesn't have any home runs, but he's having a decent spring, slashing, you know, with three sixteen and three fifty on base. But his power that he's supplied in the uh, Miners last year just is not showing up yet. Brendan Donovan's had a little bit of a struggle, but he's picking it up now. The 250, 286, 550. Um, he's got a home run or two. Steven Matz, uh, I was really interested to see how he was going to come out this year. 
He's only had one start so far, but he went three innings, no hits, no runs, four strikeouts. Jack Flaherty is looking like he may be back to his old self after a slow start uh, spring training-wise. He had put back a couple days here and there. Uh, but he's gone three innings in the start, and he gave up one uh, solo home run, but struck out five and walked nobody. Uh, Dakota Hudson has looked a little better. Uh, you know, when going five innings in a couple of different games, uh, with a 1.8 ERA and a 1.8 WHIP, so that's in some encouraging numbers from from Dakota. And there's been some concern about Adam Wainwright. Uh, his velocity is down, and when I'm talking down, I'm talking down. I mean, he's looking at a sinker at 84. He's looking at his fastball. I think it was like 86, maybe 80. It's just not the numbers you want to see if he's going to be a frontline starter. Um, but he said it's, you know, it's it's all explainable at this point. He's had some uh, back leg issues with his glute um, or glutes and his, his uh, back some minor back spasms not enough to put him in an injury situation but enough to kind of just keep eye out on a day-to-day basis uh he's also had a blister on his pitching hand uh so we're gonna have to wait and see uh how he how he uh, fares out and uh once the season gets going and you know i think a lot of people questioned whether he should be in that world baseball classic or even playing but his velocity is so low but you know if I'm going to give anybody the benefit of the doubt, it's going to be a, it's going to be a, a uh, Adam Wainwright. I think he's earned that benefit of the doubt, and uh, so let's just wait and see what happens. Okay, so hey, you know that's it for me. Uh, but remember, you can always follow the show on Spotify, Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, wherever you get your podcasts, or you can go to the show's website, talkingsports-otb-gcs dot on podium.com or at gatewaycitysports.com you know if you subscribe you know one of those forums subscribes uh to get notified of new shows you can even contact me on through those websites or on twitter at tsotbgcs so until next time have fun stay safe and we'll see you again when we can talk sports on the bleachers Take care, everybody.